0: I'm J.B. Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward, inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gigillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit ATT.com and slash hypergig with details. Hey, guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh?
1: A Redwood Forest would be cool. Ski slopes!
0: Wait! Strange News Daily is a production of iHeartMedia.
1: In a world full of bizarre events, unsolved mysteries, and a billion stories from all corners of the globe, some news gets lost in the shuffle. This is your gateway to the stories on the fringe of the mainstream map. These are your dispatches in the dark. I'm Ben Bolin, and this is the Strange News Daily. Our first story today. Everyone knows Amazon is a pretty big business. The owner, Jeff Bezos, is literally the richest guy in the world. But how much money does this company actually make? It turns out they're cleaning up in the age of quarantine, making an astonishing $10,000 in sales every single second. This calculation comes from the J. Stern & Co. WorldStars Global Equity Fund. A few days ago, Amazon released its sales and profit figures from the first three months of 2020, which included the first few weeks of lockdown in the United Kingdom, parts of Europe, and the U.S. Amazon sold $75.4 billion worth of goods and services over these three months. It's a number that Christopher Rosbach, the portfolio manager at Jay Stern, called frankly staggering. Amazon's North America sales rose 29% while Amazon Web Services, that's the company's huge cloud computing segment, increased 33%. The company revealed this in an earlier earnings release. At the same time, its cost of fulfilling all those customer orders jumped 34%. It hired thousands of new workers and even increased their pay. So. Once you add in the cost of all those sales, Amazon posted an operating profit of $3.9 billion for the quarter. That's actually almost a 10% drop from this period last year. Amazon CEO Jeff Bezos acknowledged the success, but he also acknowledged the difficulties posed by the pandemic, saying, quote, The current crisis is demonstrating the adaptability and durability of Amazon's business as never before, but it's also the hardest time we've ever faced. Bezos went on to say the company plans to spend at least $4 billion on costs related to the COVID-19 outbreak in the next three months. He outlined an increase in personal protective equipment, as well as pay bumps for workers, more intense cleaning of warehouses, and about $300 million allocated to develop internal coronavirus testing abilities. Of course, many Amazon workers say these measures are not enough. Amazon and Whole Foods workers have even called for strikes. They've asked for better paid leave policies, more PPE, and reinstatements of workers who have been fired after speaking out. Workers like Emily Cunningham. She was a user experience designer for Amazon until she was fired after criticizing the company's safety and climate policies. And she says... Amazon is putting workers in an impossible situation where they have to choose between getting groceries and rent paid and potentially infecting themselves or others. She, like many current and former Amazon employees, particularly criticized what she sees as Amazon's lack of transparency, saying, quote, Amazon is not giving out the number of cases, so workers don't know if it's 2,000 public cases. Is it 200? Is it 20? She concluded, if Amazon has those numbers, it needs to say so. While Amazon is taking a lot of heat for its employment practices, a controversy that raged far before the current pandemic, there's no arguing that they are making money hand over fist in a sharp contrast to old-fashioned brick and mortar stores, many of which may never recover from the forced closures across the planet. And the big question, will this surge in profits disappear when the pandemic subsides? Experts aren't so sure. People are creatures of habit, and the over 150 million Prime members currently active will probably keep their accounts open when, or if, things return to normal. Our second story today... Where's the line between censorship, free speech, and public safety? This age-old question has risen to the forefront once again as Google has officially and permanently deleted the YouTube channel of controversial UK conspiracy theorist David Icke. According to Google, they took this action after repeatedly warning Icke that he was violating YouTube policies by posting misleading information about the ongoing coronavirus pandemic. This follows a similar action by Facebook, which banned Ike's official page for publishing health misinformation that could cause physical harm. Like YouTube, Facebook states this ban was the result of repeated violations of existing company policy. Following that Facebook ban, Ike's Twitter account posted, Fascist Facebook deletes David Ike. The elites are terrified. I should note, terrified there was in all caps. These bans coincide with a letter by a group known as the Center for Countering Digital Hate, or CCDH, which accused tech companies like Amazon, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube of amplifying David Icke's, quote, racism and misinformation about COVID-19 to millions of people. This letter, which you can read in full online, cites several examples of false claims made on YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. The letter argues that in a YouTube interview, Ike claimed a Jewish group of some sort was behind the coronavirus. It goes on to claim that in an Instagram post, he said 5G mobile networks left people unable to absorb oxygen. And finally, that in a Twitter post, he claimed Germany was moving to legalize sexual assault for Muslim men. So, back to YouTube. Google will still allow videos posted by other channels featuring Ike to remain live, so long as the content of those videos does not break its rules. A spokesman for the company stated, YouTube has clear policies prohibiting any content that disputes the existence and transmission of COVID-19, as described by the World Health Organization and the National Health Service, and confirmed Ike will not be allowed to start a new... YouTube channel. That previous channel had more than 900,000 subscribers. The last clip posted on the channel was about his Facebook ban. That clip reached about 120,000 views before the channel was deleted. Last month, a live stream interview with David Ike posted by another account prompted YouTube to ban all conspiracy theory videos that they believe are falsely linking coronavirus symptoms to 5G mobile phone networks. This is part of a much broader move on YouTube's part. The tech firm subsequently went further by banning any material that suggests coronavirus doesn't exist – any material that contains medically unsubstantiated diagnostic advice about the virus, or any material that disputes the efficacy or the guidance about social distancing and isolation that's been issued by WHO and local health authorities. Now, of course, you can imagine how this is fuel to the fire for some conspiracy theorists, as well as advocates of free speech. Because there was another open letter in which members of Big Brother Watch, the Adam Smith Institute, the Index on Censorship, and the Open Rights Group expressed concerns that the censorship was going too far, noting, quote, It is through a free forum of ideas that citizens understand, contextualize, and trust information, not through harsh restrictions on information sharing. While the debate over censorship, free speech, and public safety will continue into the foreseeable future, it's important to note that private tech companies are well within their rights to ban any content as they see fit. Unlike governments, they don't have to make a law allowing them to take these sorts of actions. They own the sandbox, so they make the rules of the playground. Also, various nations are cracking down on what they call rumor-mongering, propaganda, conspiracy, fake news, and so on. So, if anything, these trends seem set to continue into the future. Our third story today— An estimated 57,000 people are stuck on cruise ships around the world, and they're the staff of these ships, the crew. You see, most passengers on cruise ships affected by the pandemic have, by now, made it home one way or another. But what about the crews that kept everything running smoothly and then looked after guests as coronavirus panic swept the oceans? For many of those working in the cruise industry, the nightmare of being aboard a ship that carried people with coronavirus has continued, unabated, sometimes without an end in sight. These crew members are isolated. They didn't get the swift transportation or repatriation that passengers got. And in many cases, they've had to endure troubling conditions without pay. Some people who have been sequestered at sea have been able to describe the massive tangle of red tape and bureaucracy that has trapped them on ship, often docked within sight of shore. Take Michonne Morton, who works for Princess Cruises. She says, it seems like nobody cares what's happening to us out here. According to the U.S. Coast Guard, as of May 5th, there were over 57,000 crew members still aboard 74 cruise ships in and around U.S. ports in the Bahamas and the Caribbean. And of course, there are hundreds more still stuck on ships somewhere out there on Earth's oceans. With no passengers to look after and with their mandatory quarantine periods completed, the employees are left wondering why they haven't been allowed home. In U.S. waters, cruise ships have been mired in regulations imposed by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, or the CDC. In some cases, crews are moored right at the dock. Again, they're able to see land they cannot enter. The CDC's official line here is that crew members can only be permitted to disembark or transfer between ships, provided that they'll be transported by specially chartered aircraft or personal vehicles. And, as it turns out, getting those charters approved seems to be tremendously difficult. Cruise ships unaffected by COVID-19 are able to disembark and travel via commercial airlines, but only on a case-by-case basis, and only with prior CDC approval. The cruise line has to complete a statement attesting to the status of the ship as completely free of COVID-19. The CDC has also imposed harsh penalties for violations of these rules, and these penalties have delayed cruise lines from agreeing to the policies. On Sunday, Royal Caribbean and its brands, including Celebrity Cruise Line, reached an agreement with the CDC for their disembarking crew. They wrote to employees to say that they would adhere to the strict guidelines and they would also abide by the implications. Other cruise lines may follow Royal Caribbean's examples, but the situation is massively complicated. People are worried about cruise ships in general. Employees and employers are concerned about the details of CDC policies. Even if you do get CDC approval, there is a distinct lack of commercial air flights. There are also widespread travel bans. These factors, along with many other miscellaneous ongoing uncertainties, mean that for now, many, many crew members are going to remain stuck on board. Of course, as we record, various cruise lines are actively negotiating terms with the CDC while crews wait, even if they're on a ship that's proven not to have COVID 19. While life at sea can certainly be an adventure, you can imagine this is not the kind of thing these crew members signed on for. So here's hoping they get home safe. That's all for now. We've been asking you to chime in with suggestions for stories you think your fellow listeners might enjoy. To chime in with bad dad jokes, terrible puns, or your personal experience with COVID 19. Let us know what's happening in your neck of the global woods. Tag hashtag StrangeDaily on Twitter or reach out to me directly. I'm at BenBolinHSW on Twitter and at BenBolin on Instagram. Thanks, as always, to our super producer, Dylan Fagan, our research associate, Sam Teagarden, and, most importantly, thanks to you. I'm Ben Bolin. We'll see you tomorrow. Until then, stay strange.
0: Hey, guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh?
1: A Redwood Forest would be cool. Ski slopes!
0: Wait!